We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Mike and Darius. And Lakers last night, it's funny, I was I was in such an irritated mood watching most of that game, and I was coming to terms with what a spoiled brat I am at this point of watching this team not cruise to, but get an arm's distance win on the road against the Milwaukee Bucks while Dennis Schroeder plays his worst game of the season. I'm as irritated with AD as I have been at any point during the, the his tenure as a Laker. And again, they get this arm's distance when they hold off the bucks. Um, it really speaks to like, Mike, you, you were saying in the last pod about how there's criticism about, we haven't played anybody. There's those teams had guys out, LaMarcus Aldridge, John Morant. You mentioned that in the last pod and yet the Lakers go into Milwaukee and get a fairly comfortable win while all of the other things that I said were still true. Like this team's pretty good, man. So the the Laker fan, the typical Laker fan is spoiled uh, for a good reason, for a real reason. And it is a great place to be. And I I do. I don't want to take that out of any Laker fan because it's part of what's going to keep the franchise great. Uh, those huge expectations, those demands of championship contention, that high standard in a first quarter of an early season game. That's great. Like that produces winning. And what I try to do at the same time is also just point out when things look great, big picture so that there's a little but it's like, I don't want to eliminate the stress because that's part of what drives the engine. You know, that's part of that, 
the Mamba mentality part of it. And the, the, the Milwaukee game is very apropos to this. And so you think about the, okay, there are the arguments that the Lakers, as you just said, Pete, haven't beaten teams that well. Uh, you guys have been frustrated after a couple of games and so on and so forth. And I said, well, let's just wait and see what happens when they get to Milwaukee, who is you know not, not playing incredible basketball, but is playing really well. And the Lakers didn't play particularly well. Like Frank Vogel said after the game, quote, we have to play better. We didn't play our best basketball tonight, end quote. And they won 113 to 106. Uh, they, the starters went on a big run at the end of the second quarter. And then they kind of cruised through it while giving up a ton of paint points, while missing cutters, while like not building the wall properly in transition. Instead, uh, Darius, they just hit a million threes and like made the extra pass and they've got five guys like over 40 percent the team is shooting 40 percent from three so yeah they're they're really good and this was another thing that's even like ad i I know we're gonna talk about ad he himself said he's in a funk and yet he's probably the defensive player of the year so yeah man uh darius they're in pretty good shape they are in pretty good shape pete when you were talking earlier about like being irritated while the team beat the bucks Right. A really, good, really team, good team, a team that is supposed to be in that sort of inner circle of teams that could viably win the NBA champ championship. Maybe our thoughts are starting to change on that, but but they have the two time reigning MVP. They added Drew Holiday. Chris Middleton's been great this season. Like the Bucks are a really good team. And I kind of felt like you during the game last night. And at the end of it, I thought very similar things. It's sort of like, Mike, you've got three kids now, but two boys who are six. My, like my kids are nine and seven. There are times where I ask my kids like, hey, we've got ice cream here. Do you guys want ice cream? And it's like asking a seven and a nine-year-old if they want ice cream is like asking a Laker fan if they want photoshops from Grant of every star player in the league, <laughs> right? Wearing a Lakers jersey. Like, of course I want that. Give me more. And I say, okay, we've got vanilla. Vanilla? Okay, I'll take vanilla ice cream, I guess. Like, I would have wanted maybe cookies and cream or rainbow sherbet or one of these other, like, really kid ice creams. I don't want vanilla, right? But they still get their damn ice cream. And that's what last night's game was. We got our ice cream, right? But it was vanilla for us. Like, I wasn't exactly thrilled with the level of play and in general, some of the things that the Bucks were still able to do, all, all while the Lakers were still sort of showing that they were the better team throughout, I thought. I'm so curious to see how Vogel, I would love to give Vogel some truth serum. Vogel is possibly the best coach the Lakers have ever had at understanding how to not put anything out there in the media that is controversial and that will uh, get under a player's skin. It's artful because this is Darius, you know, this Mike, you know, this on a different level than either of us do of how things like something small, some little thing that said can be taken out of context. Vogel's remarkable at that, but I would love to give him some truth serum because from a coach's perspective, and I'm not trying to put myself in Frank Vogel's class as a coach, but just a certain like basketball is supposed to be played. Not, no. not, <laughs> okay. right. not even remotely close. Um, but the whole, but the whole evaluating your own team. I have lived that. It's at a much lower level, but I have gone through that. Like we played this game last night. 
I'm really irritated at them for this, this and that. Right. And there's a long list, like Vogel said after the game uh, that, you know, we didn't play particularly well. And there's a long list. I would love to hear Vogel's like true thoughts. If he goes home, like these fucking guys, I swear to God, they're so talented. But this is what makes Vogel Vogel, though. He he has told you exactly what's going on. He always does. He just says it in a honest and smart and not attacking way. His his mm. tone is perfect. So anybody that has yeah. a relationship knows knows how this works, right? If your wife or your girlfriend or your husband or whoever your boy like, there is a way that you can communicate with them to um, where you know you can be more patient, but you're giving a tone for a certain reason or or not. And Frank never does that ever. I haven't, there hasn't been one time that I've caught him uh, in that sense. And so he said last night, exactly what happened. Like we gave up too many points in the paint. We have to play better. Um, But he didn't throw anybody under the bus for it. Uh, Speaking of kids. Thanks guys. Yep. uh, You're aware that we're recording. Appreciate that. Love you guys. See the tone there guys. Not perfect. I could have been a little better, but I've already had to mute a couple of times to tell them that. Right. So this is why I think Frank Vogel is Frank Vogel is a, is the short answer to your. So Pete, so Pete, by saying true serum, you're like, I don't, I think that I don't think that Frank um, is a, is above you know calling J Kid or whoever and being like uh, uh, like he he has frustrations too. But That's what I was going to say. He's got to be cussing these dudes out to somebody. But no, no, but he doesn't because he keeps a getting back to the fan versus the professional of basketball coaching for many years. Mm-hmm. And and you know what you know I love you, but that's the difference between Frank. Uh, yes. He's not he's not out there as a fan. He's out there. He understands why he's not getting maximum defensive effort in the first quarter um, of that lesson, even if he, he specifically targeted the low man doing better to come over from the weak side and protecting the rim. And they didn't do that, but like, he's, he's, he kind of, he's like, all right, but we're doing other things well. So that's, uh, that's Darius. Let me kick it over to you on that. But that's my thought on Frank. Yeah. And this is why to a certain extent, both of you guys that, and I know Pete, you had said this before the season started that Vogel was going to have a fairly complicated job this year, even though his team was clearly better, right? Because the personnel, the management of the end game, Mike, you've made this point a bunch of times about coming off of winning a championship and how that then sort of can infiltrate your team dynamic and how do you manage that and being patient with the stars and all of There's that. Also- there's also like there's so many talented dudes on this team and from a coach's perspective that's so like Alex didn't come into the game until like 805 left in the second quarter in the game last night and every time AC comes in the game he does not just the the shit that he's always done but he does the things that help us win and it we're so lacking in juice when we're at our worst right now that he's often a breath of fresh air on the court. I I thought even THT brought this, right? And, but he's also one of the guys that like, he's going to come in and do that whenever you need. And so just to, to your point, like balancing 11 guys who can play on some level is a challenge in and of itself, because there's a good chance that guy number 10 and 11 can be kind of irritated with his role in his minutes. Well, Harrison Fagan from Silver Screen and Roll over at SB Nation, he had asked Vogel a question about um, a very specific lineup that the Lakers have been using that has not been successful, right? And I like to call it the all forwards lineup, um, yep. right? And it's typically had Wes Matthews at guard, but then it's had LeBron and then it's had Kyle Kuzma and then it's had Markeith Morris. 
and that it's had Montrez Harrell. And that's a lot of, that sounds like a, like a Don Nelson, like dream, right? Like, oh yeah, let's get a bunch of six, eight, six, nine guys and run them out there and play some basketball. But that group has not played well together. And Frank sort of spoke to the idea of like, yeah, the sample's really small. I'm really trying to get guys minutes. And I've had to sort of shoehorn guys in. And to me, that sort of speaks to that idea, Pete, that you're talking about is there's a lot of guys who he wants to play. And in order to actually play them, he may not be able to form stylistically or from a cohesive standpoint, the best lineups all of the time. It also goes to his like philosophical. So there's one way for that lineup to work. And we do it sometimes and Vogel's been doing it more, but that's a switch everything lineup. You can't, I don't believe you can play any other defense and be successful with that lineup. But since everybody's around the same size, the around, uh, around the same quickness that they like, that's the closest you're going to get on that. But Vogel has his core philosophies of sometimes he's got Trez in that no roller behind, right? Where Trez has to like stun at the ball handler, but help back. And that's a big man's job. And Trez doesn't do that particularly well. But if you bring him out on the perimeter and we've seen like Trez played his ass off in that, that game yesterday on the defensive end, just getting run into left and right. And, and uh, was great in that respect. But this is an interesting dynamic to see play out this is my point is that Vogel has his core philosophies and he's got this talent which doesn't always like the guys on the floor don't always match what Vogel typically does but Vogel is also Mike Vogel is uh, adaptable that was something that in the shape-shifting of last season's team and what this team is capable of as well Vogel when he needed to be he was great at that knew exactly the right version of the team to put out there so what what do you think Mike is that balance between like this is what I do this is what I believe in as a coach versus the talent that you have and the minutes you want to you know all these dynamics like Vogel is juggling a lot of different plates that are you know spinning on plates and all of that so so what's your perspective on that I just think it's funny because it's no different from any NBA team in recent NBA history, except that now all of us know how to go to NBA.com backslash stats and type in the five man lineups and the four man lineups and the two man lineups. So like we can actually like Harrison actually went to him uh, with a question like that. Or I started the pregame asking him about the starting lineup because they had a net rating of 25.2 and which just crushed every other starting lineup, including the Bucks, who are ranked sixth at plus 11. And so what does that tell us? Well, he said a couple things, right, with the starters. So, yeah, Marcus All um, is good. The stretching in, uh, that he provides and the spacing allows us angles to attack. Then we've got two super fast guards that just sprint all over the place on, def- on defense and then get up and down transition. And then, oh, by the way, LeBron and AD are going to be good for almost any lineup. So, yeah, like, that one clearly works. We know that any lineup Caruso is in is better. Like, Frank knows that. That was one. Remember, the first day that I talked to Vogel, I asked him the Rondo Caruso plus minus thing, and he knew that already at that point. So the they know this stuff. What Frank is trying to do and what he did really well last year is keep as many guys engaged and involved in the system as possible because yeah. you never know who you're going to have to plug in when. And yeah. he does that really well. And uh, so I think that that's the point when people ask, why is he not playing THT? Uh, he'll play in this in this trip. Don't worry. Um, why is Caruso not playing more? Like he will play more. But right now he's trying to get a shooter and Matthews a certain degree comfortable. Like he knows what he's doing. And Darius, before I kick it to you, I had one other thought, Pete, to go to go on a quick tangent about Harold. 
Joey Ramirez texted me during the game yesterday um, with a link to the player isolation table. And I, I think I got a hit on it. Oh, yeah. Have a graphic. You did. So, yeah, that was great. So, my, well, yeah. So, that, so shout out to Joey uh, for that, who I miss. I haven't gotten to see him in person in a long time. Yeah. You, Joey. Love you, Joey. Um, so, well, okay. So he did come to one game at Staples, but it almost doesn't count because we're standing like 20 feet apart with masks on. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. You've so, got to see that handsomeness up close and, yeah, you know, exactly. a lot of handsomeness between exactly, the two of exactly. them. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, it's at least. <laughs> so Harold, 10 for 13 on ISO possessions this year. Uh, Bradley Beal is second. And I'm like, it makes sense though, when because if you, if depending on who's guarding him, either the guy at, is, is a center that can't even pretend to have the foot speed for Harold's kind of quick blow by, which we saw when Bobby Portis came back in and he just, just shot past him baseline. Um, and I believe got filed or same thing with Brooke Lopez, or if it's a smaller guy, he'll just kind of do the, he'll turn his back and then he'll flip up the quick, uh, the quick shot. And like, he's, he's really good at that. And it's not what I would have thought of him before the season started as just the screen roll finisher and the eater in that way. So it does provide that Lakers second unit, another thing they can go to, but then is Frank going to give, give him uh, spots in certain crunch time lineups? I mean, probably not if they're looking for defense and he didn't, he went to AD LeBron in three guards. So uh, that's, that's a lot there, but I just, I thought that I saw no, that. Great. Harold. I just think that whenever I start to have issues with anything around this team, whenever I start to get my bearings back in me, I go back to Vogel, my respect for him as a big picture thinker. And so it, good, man. Yeah. and and his ability to sort of see the whole board right as this chess player navigating an insane season. The Bucks game to me, Mike, I was nodding along when you said Caruso's going to play more. Yeah, well, guess what? That started last night. He closed the game basically, and I was wondering, like, oh damn, he took Caruso out, and Caruso was like frustrated. You could tell he like wanted to stay in. And I think he was frustrated because maybe the play just broke and Alex gets down on him, not down on himself, but he gets visibly upset when he knows there's a play there to be made and he doesn't make it. And so you could tell he was sort of slapping his hands together and walking back to the bench. But Frank went right back to him. He closed the game. He had that beautiful bounce pass to LeBron for the dunk. That was basically the dagger dunk that sealed the game and the corner three too. Yeah. The corner yeah, three. And yeah, that, that, corner that, three. that was a dagger. Seven percent yeah. three point shooter. So just in tying things up with the bucks game. And, and I know we're going to talk about AD within the context of this game, but I think too, like over the last handful of games that he's played, but the Lakers have so many different ways to win. And I think that that's probably an adjustment for a guy like Vogel who knew that the Lakers were going to play one way to win last year they were going to play smash mouth basketball and it was a term that vogel coined very early in the preseason we're going to be a smash mouth basketball team we're going to be physical we're going to dominate the paint on both sides of the floor great on defense. right and we're going to be great on defense well guess what this team can be that team right when lebron and ad decide they're going to put their shoulders down and they're going to get to the front of the rim harold's going to do that when Gasol is going to stand you up in the post defensively, right? He, guys are going to try to muscle him and he's just going to knock them away. The Lakers have that in them. But what they also have is a finesse version of that team, the jump shooting team that could hit 40 or 50% of their threes on any given night. They've got that <clears throat> thoroughbred version of the team that is going to get out and run and finish in transition. And then they can be an artful blend of all of that stuff. 
And I think Pete, for you and I, we probably get frustrated. And I think this is probably true for a lot of Lakers fans that they get frustrated at times hoping for the recall of last year's team and that sort of smash mouth identity when instead the Lakers now, instead of winning a seven point game because Dwight had six offensive rebounds and LeBron and AD went to the free throw line 30 times combined, they have a six or a seven point win because KCP hit seven three pointers and Wes Matthews hit two and Caruso hit two and LeBron hit six. We had 19 of right. And yeah, it's sort of yeah. like that is fundamentally a different type of team than the one that was last year's team. Yeah. But that's why they say like there's more than one way to skin a cat. There's more than one way to win a basketball game in this league. And I think Frank in his big picture view understands that better than most and even if for him too i would bet it's frustrating at times if you did give him that truth serum for sure and that navigating that see this is the thing is like vogel's several steps ahead of us on what this team is going to be in that big picture of like what this point of the season is what we're going to accomplish here to like that he's won a championship and and that team you know there are a lot of people in leadership roles, LeBron being the most obvious, um, that helped that team get there to win that title. And like, we won that, like nobody really challenged us on the way to winning that. That's hard to do in the NBA is to win a title where nobody really puts you at risk of losing a series. So Vogel, I trust Vogel to be able to get us there. Let's take a break. And when we come back, I want to talk about some of the ways in which this team is changing. You put it perfectly, Darius, about how this is a different style of basketball and kind of, I think, uh, orienting ourselves to this new version of the Lakers, the 2021 Lakers, continuing that process of changing our mindset from the 2020 version to this version. Let's take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about some of the specifics of what that means. We love sports betting, and whether you've been betting for a while or you're thinking about getting started, we want to let you know about a great resource for sports bettors, the Action Network. The Action Network is where sports fans go to bet smarter and experience real financial gains. In fact, their Action Network app was recently named Best App in Sports Betting, and with an Action Network Pro subscription, you can unlock the very best of the app. When you sign up for an Action Network Pro subscription, you can access the Pro Report, which includes expert projections for every game. You can see money and bet percentages on every game, so you can see the teams professional gamblers are betting on. You can take advantage of Pro Systems, which match winning historical betting trends with the latest games and lines. And you can track every bet you make and get alerts in real time. So if you're looking to bet smarter, an Action Network Pro subscription is the best way to get started. And for a limited time, our listeners can receive 50% off an annual pro subscription. Just go to actionnetwork.com and receive 50% off an annual subscription when you use the code LAKERS. This offer won't last, so go to actionnetwork.com and sign up for a pro subscription and use promo code LAKERS to receive 50% off and start betting smarter today. So I did my rewatch of the game last night and... Drew Holiday, for example, went through us several times to get to the basket, right? Like it's one thing for Giannis to do something giannis and overpower or go over somebody or just have an athletic advantage over someone. But watching, and I've seen this happen a few times this season in a way that did not happen last year, watching players go through our defenders. Keith has been, Mike knows I'm a big, uh, big Keith guy. Keith's been bad lately. And one of the things is like, 
is Keefe at his best. He's a rock, a really sturdy guy. And seeing guys go through Keefe is like, oh, like Keefe, I wouldn't expect that. It's seeing them go over the top of Schroeder a couple of times. Dante DiVincenzo did that in this game. I get that, right? KCP's never really been all that stout in the post as well. Um, so that is part for me from a basketball perspective of letting go of last year's team is that that's not really what it was like all that often by the same token, you know, they're beating guys to the spot. I see the playmaking when they, they really turn it on, but, and, but then there's the shooting as well. So let's, let's talk about the defense first, Darius. I am of the school of thought that like, I'm skeptical of a team that hits 19 threes to win a game. Right. Because I think that that ability to hold your ground at the point of attack, the ability to defend, right, the help side defense, the low man dropping, all of those things that AD is talking about, that Vogel's talking about, like, they know that, that that's there, but it has been a problem so far this season. So first on the defensive end, before we go to the positives, like, are you, are you concerned? What are you seeing on, on that end of the floor? And how does it translate to the more important games? I mean, I wouldn't quite call it concern. I just think that the Lakers still haven't found that full synergy yet over the course of a long stretch of games where they've firmly established what their night-to-night defensive identity is going to be. And that just wasn't true last year. It's been a difficult transition, I think, for those of us who are outside observers. And I think for those that are probably inside the team, they're probably more looking at principles and how can we execute these things better in order to become the version of the team that they think they're going to be. So I think all these eyes are probably coming at it a little bit differently. One of the things that I've seen, though, is that on that low man defense, especially from their big men, there's not any one player who does everything well besides Anthony Davis, right? And last year, even though Dwight had his limitations, I thought Dwight was really good at corralling the ball at the point of attack. We we talked about this a lot last year in terms of his like stabbing with his off arm and getting low in a stance and then executing the no roller behind principles, being big and contesting shots, like denying passing angles. Dwight Howard did what three time defensive player of the year. And it's not just because he was could jump high and, and could and run. So Marcus all does a lot of that same stuff, but he's not as imposing as Dwight because he's not a vertical stopper the way that Dwight could also be. That's like the one piece that Gasol is missing that Dwight brought. And Harold is very much like a JaVale defender except he's not seven foot one and with a seven two or seven four wingspan right and so there are limitations that come with a player like harrell on the back line and then you've got ad he's been good defensively this year he's had games where he's been great the last few games i feel like he's looked a little bit heavier on his feet than normal and that's where guys are going through AD even or getting angles on him in in a way that you're not used to seeing. Like guards have been slipping by him for those layups that during the playoffs when AD was at his peak, those were all getting blocked, right? Like I have a feeling Kendrick Nunn is probably still having AD nightmares <laughs> from that final series. And so I just think 
the Lakers are now a more rangy and quick defensive team than they are a physical and imposing defensive team. And finding how to leverage ranginess and quickness versus stout physical presence is different. And I think everyone is getting used to it a little bit more. Mike, are you nodding your head because you sort of agree or are you nodding your head because you're like, this dude is full of shit? I've, Mike is nodding his head because he laughs at how like zoomed in we are and our face. I'm just, stuff against yeah, that. I mean, no, man, I'm, I just had a deep sigh. We, so we got at this, <laughs> we got at this as we usually do in our text thread. Okay. Last night. And Darius, so I don't want to put words in your mouth. So why don't you give me, I know this is hard for you specifically, but can you give me the 32nd thing about sort of the finesse defense versus the um, tough defense and just make your case so that I can, um, I can come back at it. Yeah. I think the most poignant thing that, that I can say is that with the personnel losses that the Lakers had, they're just not as physical a team. And that's at the point of attack. I think it's in the help and it's in the paint as well. Like, I think Avery Bradley at the point of attack, Danny Green as sort of this weak side help defender and Dwight, they were all analogs for each other on different parts of the floor. And that was a physical toughness and and strength component that they brought. And this year's team does not have that in the same exact way. And I think it leads to the Lakers being a bit more of a finesse team. I, I think this shows up more on offense, but it's there on defense too. And I think some of the stuff that Pete mentioned about guys going through the Lakers a little bit more and them just being not as imposing physically is what I'm seeing on a night-to-night basis. That doesn't make them worse Overall, it does make them different, though, and I think that difference takes some getting used to. So I disagree. Uh, let me, as my first point of evidence, let me take you to Game Six of the NBA Finals. Here, where the here's the starting lineup: Anthony Davis, LeBron James, Danny Green, Contavious Caldwell Pope, Alex Caruso. Off the bench, Markeith Morris played 17 minutes. Kyle Kuzma played 22, and Rondo played 30. Um, Dwight played only one. So the two guys that are out are Danny Green and Rajon Rondo. And the two guys that are really going to play minutes when it counts, you sub in Marcus all um, and sub in Schroeder. And I, I don't think that Schroeder and maybe look, maybe even Wes Matthews, all of those guys are tough and stout um, in their own way. Physically, I get like, like Schroeder for the first couple of games of the season, we saw him hang with Kawhi on a back down. Like, so I, I don't think that I don't agree at all that the personnel is any less physical aside from Dwight, who didn't really play much in the finals. And so like the difference there is between him and Harold, basically, I think that this is the same early season argument that I've been making all along, whereas defensively, they are just simply for multiple reasons, not quite as locked in, um, nor should they be not quite as intent. And Pete, you talked about Marquise Morris, same thing. If this is the playoffs, he's not getting backed in by Drew Holiday. Um, AD is playing at a more physical level. LeBron's playing at a more physical level. You're playing Caruso more. So it's just a sick, a, a uh, the nature of the beast of where we are in the season. Um, I, I don't disagree, Darius, that they have played more finesse, but I don't think that's because they can't um, play more of the, to the staple of last year, partly because of personnel, partly because of circumstances. The point I will make to counter that, and I don't necessarily disagree. The point I will make to counter that, though, is that that identity that the Lakers carried with them last year was established in training camp and in the preseason they were 
it, it, it was a part yeah. of their ethos as a group that remember when Avery Bradley went out earlier during the year, one of the things that they talked about was that dude is our trendsetter defensively. And they were talking about that physical up in your face tenacity that he offered as a bulldog at the point of attack. And AD said, like, on the record, we know that that guy's not here and we want to make up for that. And so we're going to try to keep doing that night after night after night, even if that dude isn't here. So by the time you get to game six, the clinching game of the NBA finals, that stuff is coursing through that group's veins. It doesn't matter if Dwight Howard's not playing a minute, if Avery Bradley never came. Those habits were already established and a part of them as this is how we play as this group. And so my pushback against the idea that, oh, well, when the games matter again or when we get deeper into the season, they'll just be able to have that. I'm not as convinced at that, even though I do believe that that's possible, just because those are habits that are born early on in the season as a part of your identity. And I just think that this group, the way that they're playing now is just different. Again, it doesn't make it so that it's worse. It's just different. It's, a, it's something yeah, to keep an eye on. And it's a good point. Yep. It's, it's a good point. And, they, and I'm sure the coaching staff's going to be paying attention to that too. So I strongly agree with a certain element of each of your points. With Mike, the whole idea of playing more finesse, but not necessarily being more finesse, I think is certainly true, right? Like it's not a, a lack of capability. What I think it is, is that like, it's easier to succeed while being focused if you're big. The one thing about this roster, as opposed to the last one, is we are smaller, especially during the regular season, right? Mike's absolutely right in that Dwight only played one minute in that game six and wasn't much of a factor in the Miami series at all. Played versus Denver, but Dwight, you know, didn't play much in half of that. Didn't play Houston, didn't play against Miami. Uh, JaVale didn't play much at all after the first round. But during the regular season, we were a very big team. And it's not like we didn't have nights last year where we weren't locked in and we kind of coasted through games, but it's a lot easier to coast through games when you're like seven, one or you're 270 pounds. Like you're still big. Right. But if you're smaller, you got to be locked in and pay attention. Like you will pay more of a price as a smaller team for not being locked in than you will as a bigger team. Cause even if you're not paying attention, you're still big. Does that make sense? It right? does. In the, in the, the biggest, the biggest point to me I, I can, I'm trying to remember who it was that tweeted this, that Trudell's going to make a point like this every podcast. So guilty. Uh, here it for you. I'm putting it on the silver platter. This is about LeBron and AD, man. And I just said, man, in the tone that Darius says it, which, cause I like, yeah. that. I like that. I like man. that. You're, you're absorbing oh. one of us. You're absorbing oh. into the team. Yeah. You know, uh, yes and no. Uh, but yeah. the, <laughs> the, way, the way that, the way that, that this, this team is ultimately incredibly physical and imposing is because LeBron and AD, when they are in that mode, the rest of the guys, A, absolutely follow suit. And it almost doesn't matter if it's three guards. Like they, some of their most, again, game six, I get it. It's the, nothing. It's the time when you're going to get everybody playing at 100%. So it's a little bit easy to cherry pick that. And I, again, I love Darius's point about setting the tone. We kind of talked about that as the difference between the Clippers and the Lakers last year. Um, so that's important. But LeBron and AD, when engaged and when needing to shut stuff down, that's the physical, athletic, speed, power, superiority that nobody else can match. I don't care who you put on the floor. You can take any other two guys in the league 
and try to like Giannis and Kawhi. I'd still take LeBron in AD in terms of a physical athletic, like who am I going to trust there? So that I just, I feel like it's part of my contract to mention uh, LeBron and AD in this context every time it comes up. No, and that that's absolutely the case. Uh, but Darius's point about how that style of play was coursing through their veins by that point, and that it's all habits. They like throughout any regular season, you build habits and you build your identity more than anything. You build like who are we as a team. Now, I don't think that this is a cut and dry, uh, black or white type of thing. I do think that we've shown some flashes of the identity that we're going to have, which is a beat you to the spot defense that's very athletic that gets a lot of interceptions or the basketball version of that, right? But the longer you go in the regular season, uh, the the more games you go where you do that for five minutes, the harder it is to rev that engine up in the playoffs to get to that point. It's not a switch. It's it's something that warms up and builds to that. And I, I think that this team is when they need to and when they want to is going to be able to rev up relatively quickly relative to other teams because of all of the talent that they have. All I'm saying is that this is a thing that when a dynasty dies, it is because no, they no longer can rev it up to that point or the injuries, right? There's all sorts of factors, but that's a big part of it, Darius, is that that ability to rev up the engine just just goes away. And so we just need to be. Yeah. And that. by no means am I arguing that this team doesn't have that they don't have the ability to throw coal in that furnace. Right. And light up the opponent because they've shown that they can do that this year already. The thing that I said in our text thread that I'll repeat now though, is that we talked about last year's group as like a shape-shifting team, but we talked about that mostly within the context of like their personnel, their ability to play super big, relatively big or small with any varying group of guys and still carry out their identity. So didn't matter if you had four guards and Anthony Davis, right? Or you were still going to get a certain level of competitiveness and dog every single night, right? Now, depending on how engaged they were or whatever, like I get that, right? That there are off nights and sometimes you, well, you just don't have it. This year's team though, what I'm seeing from this year's team in terms of being a shape-shifting team is that there are also nights where this team says, you know what? We could hit 23 pointers tonight. We don't have to post up LeBron and AD 25 or 30 times and touch the paint as often and we can still beat you as a jump shooting team and we can do that when we're big and we have lebron and ad and mark gasol on the floor right we could do that when we're small and it's ad and kyle kuzma and markeith morris and dennis schroeder and kcp on the floor right the ability to shapeshift now is now playing completely different types of styles that are almost driven by totally different mindsets, right? Like yin and yang that aren't always aligned or the same. And it's those nights where I'm just like, okay, it's one of those nights. It's one of those jump shooting nights. And the issue with that is, is that when you then try to shift into something different, like, okay, now we're no longer going to be the jump shooting team. We're going to be the power team. Flipping that switch to me is a more difficult switch to flip than the one of we weren't going hard. Now we're going to play harder. 
because mm-hmm. it's it's mm-hmm. it's yeah. like someone who is like who has different personalities and now you're going to say like okay well now i'm going to be the funny guy when i was like the jerk all day <laughs> right well it's just like yeah it, maybe it's going to be harder to be so funny when you were being an ass for 20 of the 24 hours that's just one way that i can frame it i guess yeah, it's that's uh, it's not unfair. It's something worth monitoring. I, I know that Fa- that Frank Vogel is monitoring it, and I think that as the season goes on, and let's just hope that the vaccine is out to an extent where we can get some fans back. Like that would help yeah. certainly. Yeah. And if not, and if not, the, like the playoffs, these guys know what time it is. You know, once the playoffs come around. So I, I do think that, but I, I don't want to dismiss the point. Um, so that's important. I just want to mention too, Contavious Caldwell Pope, man, man. Man, uh, he is shooting. I was looking at Darius and Pete when I said uh, he he is shooting that thing. It's so Alex Caruso's fifty five plus percent. Oh, that thing. Okay, that's Mike. awesome. Um, I don't want. I don't think Caruso is going to stay at fifty five percent. But I don't have a great reason to believe that KCP is going to dip too far. He, because the looks that he's getting and the confidence yes. that he's doing with and the stroke and the fact that he's not even really hitting much rim on many of these shots. So like that is something that is sustainable. And I think it's as big of a reason that the Lakers are shooting better from the perimeter as any other, including Marcus all in the spacing that he provides. So um, shout out to KCP seven threes uh, in his 10 attempts. I was shocked that the ones that didn't go in and that is a, it's just something worth mentioning that that's real. How, how real is our shooting? Do you guys think? The, the shooting is the shooting is real, not to the extent that KCP and Caruso, as I just mentioned, are going to shoot 55 percent. But in LeBron, you know, typically is going to going to tick back a bit. He's at 40 percent right now. You know, he may tick back to 37 because he takes some tough shots. He takes some tough threes. But they are getting such wide open shots because of the spacing. And a, a lot of that's because of the Gasol um, l- with the starting. Li- the starting lineup is getting completely wide open threes. Um, for whoever else is on the court with them. And like, that's not changing. So that's the sustainability factor that it, they didn't have it last year. They didn't have a stretch five and, and one that is a great passer. So uh, Darius, I, I'm assuming you'll agree that it's, it's sustainable, even if not, you know, 40% as a team. They just look so good and comfortable as shooters. That's one of the things. So to me, it's not just the quality of looks. It's, what's your mindset when you're taking those looks, right? And and so like Danny Green struggled like all playoffs, basically. He was getting the types of looks he would feast on just a year prior when he was with Toronto. The difference was that you could tell from a confidence standpoint, he was losing that confidence that he had had just a year before. So Mike, the point that you were making about KCP just, the pure sort of like, I'm going to make this vibe he's giving off with every single shot that he takes. That to me is the thing that if that carries forward, this is totally sustainable, right? Because guys can get in their own head and they can start to miss a few wide open ones. And that can get in their minds to the point where they start to lose the confidence. But LeBron is shooting every three like he knows it's going in. That last step back three that he hit against Brooke, it was halfway to the rim and Braun threw up that left hand, the three fingers and pivoted away. And he watched that baby go through the bucket because, but he knew, and there's a level of, of surety 
that he is shooting the ball with this year. And that's where I'm just like, ah, that's where it's at. And it's almost opposite with what you've seen with like Anthony Davis in the last two or three games where he looks like he's not as comfortable with his jumper right now. And he is pausing a beat when it's time to take the open above the break three. You can tell it's in his head a little bit at the free throw line. And so when he says that he's in a funk, that's the right way to describe it because he knows he's so much better than this as a player and that it's mental for him right now, as much as it is maybe all the nicks and bruises that that may be piling up for him a little bit. I want to chime in on the three-point shooting first before we get to kind of 80s funk. A um, couple of things. LeBron, one of the things I thought before this season was that, you know, if LeBron wanted to be a spot-up shooter on this team, he could be a phenomenal spot-up shooter if that was a role that he wanted to take on. But it's a bit of a departure, and it's not something that uh, it's not something that he has never done before, and it's not something where he doesn't have the ball in his hands, of course, but his ability, he's coming off of screens and knocking these down. He's, you know, catching and shooting without any hesitation. A lot of the times that he would catch on a catch and shoot attempt and he would kind of like, he likes to pump fake, like on that one where Dennis Schroeder was like, you ain't gonna make that, right? He was like, bet, right? LeBron pump fake before he shot that ball. And KCP, for example, catches that and lets it fly. Moach catch and shoot guys. So like LeBron doesn't have conventional catch and shoot ability normally but he's coming off of these and shooting these in one motion in ways that he didn't in his first two seasons as a laker as a spot-up shooter and it speaks to the team's drive and kick game i miss doing you know analysis videos to the degree that i used to and one of the things i would like to do even even in my current role I would love to do a drive and kick video on this team. I've talked about how the free throw line is a decision maker zone. Um, but there's a lot of like, everybody really knows what they're doing guys. Like the relocations, the, you know, drive and kick and then fill weak side corner or open corner, whatever the, that is all of the ways that you would coach the steps of building up drive and kick read and react type of offense. They're so good at that already. And part of that is the personnel, of course, the spacing and their skills, but the knowledge and understanding. And so I too think that the, uh, that the shooting is, a real thing not to again like mike said we're not going to shoot over 50 percent. certain guys aren't gonna they'll cool off in that respect but they're getting great looks and i thought steve kerr had a great quote about us before he, uh, we played them was about how we're in that place where we've got that championship confidence but we're also not like beat down by years and years of contending for a title and that's a real sweet sweet spot to be in so ac is in these regular season games especially he's like man i started game six of the nba finals you think I'm sweating this game at Milwaukee? Yeah, I'm going to relocate uh, or get this shot in the corner. I'm not even going to hesitate. My kid hesitate on that shot in the past, right? And so it's that confidence that, that Darius was talking about as well that really makes this, uh, like, I, I think our shooting is sustainable. I also think, though, that because our shooting is going to be good, we're not going to suffer some of the natural consequences that would force us to address some of the mistakes we'll make, we've made. But that's perhaps another topic for another time. But guys, this, yeah, the, I, I really think this, the shooting of this team is going to be sustainable. I think we're going to be around that 40 percent mark for most of the year. Yeah, we can get into that. Pete, the point you just made about the sort of the connection to the defense and, and maybe AD on the, the next spot, right? I think we got to, we got to do a deep dive on that. And and I'll also, I want to see how AD 
plays uh, in Chicago. Like, I, I think he could kind of break his spell there. Uh, hometown team, sure. like they're not going to have Carter. Um, I just saw that on Twitter. So um, I we may have a whole different AD discussion, but yeah, we could save that for the next pod. For sure, for sure. Yeah, this has been fun, guys. Uh, let's let's wrap it up here. Lakers get the win over Milwaukee. Uh, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's in. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Bat next to the winner. It's on the way. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Look at me. Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one. Listen. Bryant. Unbelievable. For the victory. It's over. Shot popping out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.